1: Down into the middle of the Welcome to the You Are Not So Smart Podcast, episode 267. <music>
0: We don't necessarily have any evidence that people who strongly support doing your own research do their own research.
1: do your own research, please do your own research, do your own research, do your own research. There's a ton of it right on, you know, at the tip of your fingers on your own phone.
0: What we say when we're saying, I need to do more more research, is that you just want to see enough information to convince you that your decision is correct. That's all we're saying.
1: In order of appearance, that was Dr. Sedona Chin, pundit. Sean Hannity, and comedian Trevor Noah, all talking about that phrase, this concept, the imperative declaration, do your own research. And to reiterate what Sedona Chin was saying, here she is reiterating what she was saying.
0: People who really strongly support doing their own research aren't necessarily doing any more research than anyone else.
1: Chin is our guest in this episode. She studies science communication at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, More specifically, she studies how individuals make sense of competing claims about science and health and the environment. She just published a paper on her research into doing your own research in which she studied the people who use this phrase the most, the people who are most likely to tell other people they ought to do their own research. And she found that compared to people who are less likely to use that phrase, The people who are most likely to tell you to do your own research don't actually do that themselves. In fact, over time, by comparison, she found that they held more incorrect beliefs and had stronger declines in trust in doctors and scientists and institutions than did people who don't tend to reach for that phrase when discussing controversial ideas. Which leads to this caveat that Any scientist would share when talking about research. It's good to do your own research. We should do our own research if you actually do it and if you are actually doing quote unquote research. We will return to Chin in a moment, but first, I want to tell you how this phrase came to be. Not that this string of words is new, but what is new is stringing them together and using them to defend conspiratorial or anti-science or vaccine-hesitant beliefs, which is what Chin is researching. If you've listened to the show for a while or are familiar with this side of science, you're likely aware that when it comes to being misinformed or believing in conspiracy theories or being devoted to one politician or political party, no matter what you hear, no matter what information comes down the wire. Oftentimes, it's not that some news channel or pundit or YouTuber or TikToker is tricking people into being wrong about something. It's that people already held attitudes, anxieties, prejudices, and so on that would be supported by those things. So they're less likely to be skeptical of them and more likely to be skeptical of the opposite. It's a bit more complicated than saying they want to believe, but it shakes out that way. Human brains will cherry-pick out of all the available information the data that most support the conclusions they feel motivated to reach, motivations of which we are often unaware. And these motivations often exert more pressure on reasoning than the desire to hold accurate beliefs. Often the act of doing your own research is this. People don't go searching for information, they go searching for confirmation. But that's not what people think they are doing or what they are saying when they ask you to do your own research. In fact, this confirmatory search for information that would support our conclusions and attitudes and values, that would paint our identities in a positive light, we often do not do that consciously. So how did this usage of this phrase become a thing? Well, in October of 2022, the philosopher Nathan Ballantyne and the social psychologists Jared Selniker and David Dunning of Dunning-Kruger Effect fame wrote an essay for the journal Social Epistemology all about the rise of this phrase. And they tracked it down to one person, Milton William Cooper. Bill Cooper was an American conspiracy theorist. He had a radio show about conspiracies, he sold mail-order tapes, and he wrote a book about conspiracies in 1991 titled Behold, a Pale Horse. And Cooper's theories were grand. They expressed a deep distrust of the government and detailed an elaborate coordination between the Illuminati, the Freemasons, and others to build a world government in cooperation with aliens to prepare the world for invasion by those aliens and then total enslavement of our species. He also told his audience and his readers that President Kennedy was assassinated because he was about to reveal the shadow government's plan to hand us all over to the aliens and he believed Kennedy was assassinated by the chauffeur in Dallas using an alien rifle. Now, you may have never heard of Bill Cooper, but he was very popular in the pre-internet conspiracy theory world, and then when online bulletin boards became widespread, he was a regular poster on the UFO forums on the Paranet bulletin board system, where he rose to prominence in that community. He'd eventually become equally popular in the militia communities of the 1990s, and in fact, Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber, ordered one of his cassettes titled Waco, The Big Lie which claimed the siege of Waco was the beginning of a new civil war. He'd later appear on the Alex Jones show and would become a celebrity in the 9-11 truther community, and he would eventually get into trouble with the government for not paying his taxes and for assaulting, with a deadly weapon, some people in his community after some disputes with residents near his home in Arizona. And on November fifth, two 2001, when sheriff's deputies attempted to arrest him at his home, vowing he would not be taken alive, Cooper was killed in the shootout with those deputies after he opened fire and shot one of them in the head. As far as researchers can tell, the modern current usage of the phrase, do your own research, started with Bill Cooper, the conspiracy theorist who believed the U.S. government was working with aliens to enslave the human race, who would eventually die in a shootout with Arizona sheriff's deputies. Before Cooper, conspiracy theorists usually emphasized not doing your own research. In the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, prominent conspiracy theorists urged people to only trust them the conspiracy theorists making money off books and lectures. But Cooper used the phrase often. And more than that, he really encouraged his audience to do their own research. In one of his books, he wrote, quote, What I'm after is the truth. I'm telling you what I saw in these documents and where my research has led me over the intervening 17 years. That's what I'm imparting to you. I want you to go and verify this or not verify it or prove it wrong or whatever you can do. On your own end quote. So that shootout that led to his death by the government not only secured Cooper's fame for many in the UFO and 9/11 and Waco and militia and shadow government conspiratorial communities, it popularized the phrase and what it meant to say it out loud to others, others who were still asleep, others who are still in the dark. But it was the rise of social media and the fragmentation of traditional media, the decline in newspapers and the decline in the quality of cable news, along with the rise in distrust in experts and institutions before, during, and after the Trump years and the COVID pandemic that brought this phrase into the mainstream. In their essay, Ballantyne, Seleniker, and Dunning noted that everywhere English speakers are trading ideas, arguing posting hot takes, making videos and podcasts, and so on. In the grand arena of public discourse, that phrase, which they refer to as DYOR, has precipitously risen in popularity in the last decade, especially during COVID, to the point that it has become a sort of shorthand for, well, lots of things.
0: Where I first became aware of these sort of do-your-own-research phrases was in a lot of um, sort of the online anti-vaccination content of sort of the 2010s-ish. That is
1: Dr. Sedona Chin.
0: That was sort of talking about the importance or placing things like intuition, maternal instinct, and personal experience as just as valid as research and scientific information. Um, That a lot of the sort of conversations around childhood vaccinations were about sort of... um, maternal knowledge and maternal intuition being just as valid as, uh, and and not being respected as much as scientific knowledge we started researching this do your own research trend in around 2019 so it was mm-hmm. actually before the covid 19 pandemic and before it got a lot of widespread attention because we're both from southern california mm-hmm. and when you grow up in southern california we we just sort of by coincidence have a lot of friends, family members, old people we went to school with, etc., who might be very well-educated, very successful, accomplished people who start to do kind of unevidenced health things. They want to do different kinds of cleanses, or they find a particular spiritual teacher that tells them, you know, that they should live their life in this certain way, Or they start to disregard their doctor's advice saying, you know, well, this might work for most people, but it doesn't work for me. And we were sort of thinking about investigating, doing your own research from this sort of ordinary perspective of this sort of daily life of how people would present sort of their personal experience and their personal research and their unique circumstances as something that was just as valid a way of making decisions and finding information and knowledge as listening to their doctor or scientific research or evidence. So it wasn't necessarily presented as something that was in conflict. It wasn't, it wasn't a wholesale rejection of expert knowledge. It wasn't a mm-hmm. whole, it wasn't a distrust of expert knowledge necessarily. Mm-hmm. There might be an element to that, but there wasn't, it wasn't a wholesale rejection. But it was like, okay, yeah, that might work for some people, but it doesn't work for me.
1: According to Chin, and according to Ballantyne, Selniker, and Dunning, D-Y-O-R doesn't literally mean do your own research. It doesn't mean go spend a decade or more getting a Ph.D. and then devote your life to a particular field, nor does it mean to go to the library and read dozens of books by experts on a particular topic. It is not the same idea put forth back in 1637 when Descartes heralded the concept of doing your own research and his great work titled Discourse on the Method of Rightly Conducting One's Reason and of Seeking Truth in the Sciences. That pretty much led to the Scientific Revolution, in which the Royal Society of London's motto was Nullius in Verba, which roughly translates to Take Nobody's Word for It. But that was an appeal to start with a hypothesis, then conduct tightly controlled and recorded observations in an effort to disprove that hypothesis, which would then produce evidence that supported some conclusions more than others, and then hand all that off to other people doing the same thing to pick it all apart and then do that thousands of times for hundreds of years. It didn't mean never trust nobody. And that's a lot of what DYOR means today this phrase, the way it's used here in this last decade, it fundamentally serves as a rallying call, a proclamation, an endorsement for a method for a much different way of forming beliefs than Descartes was describing. Now it's a signal to others that one employs a certain DYOR epistemology and that one is committed to a DYOR core set of values. What are those values? Well, they're autonomy and intellectual independence. But it's autonomy and intellectual independence from experts who wish to compel you to believe as they do. All the researchers I've mentioned say that people who use this phrase are often aware that experts have reached conclusions and have answers that are supported by evidence. And they usually know when there's a consensus on the matter, scientifically. But those are their answers. And some people respond very poorly when they feel like experts are telling them what to believe, especially if what they're telling them to believe runs counter to their current assumptions, their values, their existing beliefs, or their social identities. But most importantly, it's the suggestion any authority of any kind can see the truth for you. That will trigger what psychologists call reactance. Reactance is pushback against anything that feels like a threat to one's agency, and it's triggered by the sense that someone is asking you to give up your autonomy and your individuality. In the United States, there is an enormous cultural value placed on independence, so a great deal of reactance takes the form of rejecting what experts seem to be telling you to believe, and it's the telling you part that generates this reaction. It comes across as coercion or a command or some sort of dictated behavior, which people will resist as if they are being told what to believe. That's the emotional reaction that leads to the motivation to reject their answers and instead, go see for yourself. Go get your answers. That's where Sedona Chen's research comes in. She wanted to know, well, do people go get their answers? what she found when she did her own research was, no, not really. All that after this commercial break. This show is sponsored by... And I recommended therapy. I'd never gone to therapy before. And this helped. Now, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If our time was unlimited, how would you use it? And the best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what is that special thing? What is important to you? What is that thing that deserves to take that slot, that precious time? How do you make that a priority? Therapy can help you find what matters to you. So you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I really recommend giving BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. And now we return to our program.
0: My name is Sedona Chin. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison in the Department of Life Sciences Communication. And I generally research science communication, which means a lot of different things. Sort of how people deal with scientific uncertainties that are inherent to the scientific process conflicting claims conflicting studies or people saying all kinds of different things on the internet about scientific topics
1: yeah people seem to be newly or differently skeptical consumers of information right now because there's this feeling that oh oh i don't know like like if you tell anyone anything even if they believe you they will often say where did you hear that so i just want to know what your thinking is on all this and what's going on
0: yeah well i think that there's sort of a some specific things to like the last couple of years, but there's also much broader, wider trends that if you look at sort of data about how much do you trust media since like the seventies, it's continued to go down since the seventies. So this isn't like necessarily a recent trend. And you see this across several institutions, you can see this in trusting government and, and other things as well. So that's sort of a broad sort of generally there seems to be some sort of declining trust in institutions um, in the U.S um, but in the U.S it's also important to remember that there's sort of a long tradition of skepticism of experts as sort of a marker of sophistication or mm. shrewdness or cleverness um that's sort of baked into U.S culture and in, in a way that's a longer standing at this point you know a, once you get sort of the internet and social media, you you are seeing increasing concerns about misinformation and people just saying whatever they want to on the internet and people believing whatever they find on the internet. And that's a reasonable concern for people Mm. to have. I mean, we know that there is false information online. We know that it can be deceiving. And so uh, people are smart to be aware that, yeah, not everything I see is going to be True. And so there is also some skepticism there and in a, I think, a healthy way. At the same time, again, also now you have increasing political divisions and polarization, more sensationalized headlines and reporting. A lot of people are like, oh, no, everyone hates experts or everyone hates scientists. And we're not seeing that in the data. Trust in scientists remains quite high and through the covid pandemic has remained quite high. But certainly people are skeptical of information that they're encountering. And again, for some good reasons. Yeah. But are, you know, and I think that's a reasonable position for people to hold. So you have now an uh, environment where people have more information than they ever could have had at any other point in history, and that's only going to increase. And yet people are concerned about the quality of that information Mm -hmm. and people are skeptical of where that information is coming from and whether we can trust it.
1: Yeah, and I've talked about this Bazillions of times, which is the you know epistemic chaos and the frag- fragmented, fractured, strange information ecosystem, all that stuff, which was already happening, like you said, like Marshall McLuhan was writing about it in the you know the fifties through the eighties, and then mm-hmm. he was like, "TV is going to really freak y'all out," right. <laughs> and then the internet comes along and it really freaks us out. I know in my own like uh, hometown, I used to work for a newspaper mm-hmm. that died. You know, it it, it went yeah. from when I, when I was there, we had eight reporters, and we all had our, our own photographers. And then, by the time I left, it had, been, it had already shrunk a little bit. And then years later, it just has it now has zero reporters. It just offloaded all of its stuff to a to its parent company. Mm-hmm. And it, this is happening all across the United States. So, and then then yeah, we're all like, where do we get our stuff, and how do we know it's true? So it seems like if I was to say, hey, you need to do your own research. That seems like that's not a bad thing to say, and you, yeah, but it's
0: objectively uh, great advice.
1: <laughs> it's objectively great advice.
0: It is, and and we have research on this. We've been trying to get people to seek information for about a lot of things for a long time, and people who seek more information about candidates and about ballot measures are more civically engaged, and patients who seek more information about their conditions they're dealing with and their treatment options see better health outcomes and especially it can be really important for people who experience systemically maybe poor care in medical situations to seek information outside of their doctor and their experts to seek information from patient communities you know what have you gone through what were your symptoms like how did you get a doctor to listen to you what things did you ask for that can be Seeking expertise outside of institutions, outside of experts, can be really, really helpful and and empowering and can really help people improve their lives. So, yes, we often want to promote information seeking because it's associated with these better outcomes.
1: There's this this huge, like, however, but about a feel coming out of you in a second here.
0: (laughs) Well, I think the however and but is that we don't necessarily have any evidence that people who strongly support doing your own research, do their own research.
1: (laughs) Okay. Okay.
0: We find in this paper, one of the analyses we do is we look at sort of how these beliefs, how endorsement of like, yes, you should do your own research. Yes. Doing your own research is just as valid as the views of experts. Those sorts of beliefs are not correlated with seeking information from social media, from news or from the internet. So in some people who Really strongly support doing their own research, aren't necessarily doing any more research than anyone else.
1: I love that this is a human thing, that this is what people do faced with this strange information environment and being very modern and having to know so many things to understand anything at all. Yeah. And you. Can be over. I, I, as a person who grew up in the deep south, but then spends time on the coasts and then back here Mm -hmm. on the coasts, both sides think the other one is like uh, ridiculous, and even though they're doing
0: the same thing, I I sometimes call it the the horseshoe. It's sort of how the the sort of far liberal and the far right end up at the same conspiracy, Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it's driven by this. uh, And you get to it, the whole idea that facts don't care about your feelings, which is ridiculous because confidence and certainty is a feeling. And so, therefore, they care a whole lot. It's that part when it comes into conflict. Like, why do I not trust the expert at some point? Why do Mm -hmm. I not trust the institution at some point? Whether it's a journalist or a scientist or some sort of organization like the World Health Organization or something, the worst one is my gut tells me it doesn't go this way. I was just in Gettysburg at a Mm -hmm. conference which was 300 Republicans and 300 Democrats, hardcore, who were supposed to meet and mingle and, and not be mean to each other. And one of the things they did, and this made me think of you, was they were or they had a super liberal on stage and a super conservative on stage. And the super liberal was somebody who worked for the CDC. And the other person was talking about how come they didn't like what the person was saying during that period of time. And they were like, it didn't pass the smell test. They kept saying that. Mm-hmm. And it made me think about you immediately. Because that, that, that was what they were saying. It was like, yeah, I'm looking at all this stuff that was coming out. and just it didn't pass the smell test. And you know, I own a business. I have all these employees that depend on me and I, and Mm -hmm. my gut tells me how to run that business. And my, I was thinking this is exactly what you're discussing here. Please tell me a little bit more about this smell test gut feeling thing. That seems to be part of the do your own research.
0: Yeah. Um, well, there's been a little bit of work on sort of people who rely on their intuition to make decisions about whether something's true or not tend to get more things wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) <laughs> In part because they can, they can kind of misattribute mis- what that feeling is towards. You know, it's, if you have a awkward interaction with a colleague and then you read a news article, you might say, oh, well, this news article doesn't seem right. Whereas you're feeling awkward still from the previous interactions. Mm-hmm. So there's sort of the misattributing that can happen. But also we are prone to feeling more favorably towards the things that we already think and believe you know it in terms of something passing the smell test of course it's it sort of more fluid in your brain if you already think and believe that thing if you're introduced to some new information that's conflicting with what you think and believe that's going to jam up the gears in your brain for a bit so of course that's going to feel awkward and un- uncomfortable
1: like this I know I've been writing about this forever but I can't get enough of, of it. this because do your own research has come along as if because you you get out. This is like a get out of jail free card for motivated reasoning. You you get to th- yeah. to say that you were you were mentioning this, and tell me where I'm wrong here. But I mm-hmm. get to still say that I believe in science. I get to still mm-hmm. say that I am a careful contemplator of things, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. I am a person who believes in evidence. And I mm-hmm. tr- believe in expertise. I get to mm-hmm. continue to think that stuff about me, and then signal that yeah. to other people, while yes. at the same time engaging in absolute. unadulterated, motivated reasoning, confirmation bias, cherry-picking evidence, and arriving at uh, self-serving conclusions, whatever the the drive might be in that particular situation. Am I kind of seeing that there?
0: And I think you raise a good point there about a lot of this do-your-own research rhetoric plays into things that we, as a society, as people, desire. We want informed People, We want, you know, you want to be seen by your peers as somebody who is informed and engaged and smart and intelligent and who has done this research. That's a good thing. And we want our communities to be filled with people who are engaged and informed. Again, because when people do this sort of research, we see these better outcomes, we see more civic engagement and we see more, uh, you know, better health outcomes, etc., But it's also a status thing. You know, you want to be seen as somebody who is credible and who is smart and who is intelligent. And so much of this do your own research plays on these democratic norms that you want engaged citizens. You want people who are out there doing their own research. And yet it's sort of co-opted a lot of times in a way to sometimes and not always spread false information or to justify someone's belief that goes against the best available evidence. Um, I will say not all the time because we do see do your own research messages promoting voting and do your own research messages promoting getting your COVID vaccine. Like, look, I just got my COVID vaccine. Do your own research to see if that's the best option for you. You know, we do see it used in a lot of different ways and a lot of really helpful ways. I think the the thing that fascinates me most is that doing your own research is objectively good advice. And information seeking is something we typically are trying to promote. We want people to seek more information. We want people to consume more news. We want people to know more about their health. We want people to, you know, know more about what's on the ballot. But that this phrase, do your own research, often implies some degree of mistrust, some degree that, well, you have to do your own research because you can't be reliant on others. You can't trust others for information and advice. And I find that tension really fascinating. I also don't want to wholesale demonize doing your own research, because I see this phrase used in a lot of really, I would say, normatively good ways. I When I was first researching this, it was Black History Month, and I was seeing a lot of do your own research about overlooked Black historical figures in social media posts, and that you should do your own research to learn more about these figures that have been overlooked. And so I don't want to just straight up demonize doing your own research, because I think it that it does call attention to things that institutions, experts, actors have overlooked, have not communicated about or, or something like that.
1: There's a phrase, and I'm going to borrow this from you forever, and I will give you full attribution, which is a uh, do your own research epistemic beliefs, D-Y-O-R epistemic beliefs. How would you, uh, how would you define that?
0: That's into a little bit what we find um, was that we were finding that people who strongly supported doing your own research had more incorrect beliefs over time about COVID, but weren't doing any different information seeking than people who did not have this, these do your own research beliefs. So we're, we're trying to explain that where it's like, how are they getting these different beliefs without any different patterns in information seeking, either more or less? It's just not associated with information seeking. We were looking to see whether people who strongly supported doing your own research would end up having more correct beliefs because maybe they're doing information-seeking or more incorrect beliefs because maybe they're doing information-seeking in a biased way or they're not information-seeking or doing your own research was just something, an an excuse or a um, justification for having a belief that was different from what scientists believe. And so we did a survey, it was a panel survey um, between December, 2020 and March, 2021. So this was right around the time where the first COVID vaccines in the US were being distributed mostly to frontline workers. So we found that people who strongly supported doing your own research, people who were really strong proponents of doing their own research had declines in their trust in scientists over time. And held more incorrect beliefs about COVID over that three-month period. And this was controlling for their first responses back in December, which was particularly interesting to us mm-hmm. because something like trust in scientists, yeah, there was a lot going on at that time, but we might not expect trust in scientists to change that much. This was a very general measure of trust in science. We might mm-hmm. not expect it to you know, vary a ton over time. I mean, there was a lot going on during this period, but- It was interesting to see that association between really strongly believing that doing your own research was just as valid as listening to experts was associated not just with low levels of trust, but declining levels of trust over that three-month period with declining number of accurate beliefs over that time.
1: Was this surprising
0: to you? (laughs) (laughs) It was a little bit. We had... You know, uh, there was obviously a lot of discourse going on at that time. This was around the time of sort of the January 6th insurrection. Um, So there was a lot going on and we had seen a lot online of QAnon doing your own research. And so we knew there was this association with conspiracy beliefs. But again, we were coming at this do your own research phrase and idea from this perspective of sort of everyday people and use in sort of everyday situations. Obviously, it got became kind of a lightning rod during COVID. And while these changes over time that we observed were quite small, that the associations were quite small, it did show the possibility that these could compound over time. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the pandemic, where people have been in, increasingly exposed to these messages about doing your own research, that was something that struck us as interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow! I love also. I love that you had to do you had to do your own research.
0: We had to do our own research on doing <laughs> your own research. Yes.
1: I love that so much. You did your own research and into how people do their own research or not, or at least how they value the concept that they would do it if they were the people they thought they were. I was uh, – to, to share a little thing with you as we get toward this, like, big takeaway is um, I, I was just visiting my parents uh, two days ago, and we're – they're just catching up on stuff, and he's telling me that he saw a YouTube video of someone who was struck by lightning, and then right after that, they could uh, they became a uh, concert level pianist without any piano training. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, Dad, that's impossible. And mm-hmm. then I was like, Oh man, I'm not doing what I said to do in my book, and I had sort of backtracking <laughs> because his immediate reaction to that was, uh, Well, I, I saw it all the thing, and I was like, Dad, this is my wheelhouse. This is what I do. Uh, I'm telling you, like, like they can't it it could affect you, but it's not going to give you the knowledge of how to play that song. And he's like, well, I think you need to do more research on this. And so I, then of course you entered my mind immediately. I'm like, damn, he just did the thing. Like he just did the thing. Do you need to do your research on this? Because I currently believe something that I saw and I feel I knew it had nothing to do with the actual video. It had nothing to do with the, anything that we're discussing. It had to do with his self-esteem being challenged as a person yeah. who has been called out for believing something that might not be true. And so this leads me to this big takeaway that I, I feel is just is my favorite part, and I'm looking at it right here, which is uh, doing your own research may not be about seeking information, but instead, and these are your words, uh, yep. doing your research may not be about seeking information, but instead be an expression of anti-establishment political identity. Sedona, just take that and tell me more.
0: Well, what we had been finding, again, in those sort of supplemental analyses was that Support for doing your own research wasn't necessarily associated with doing any more research than anyone else. So then that leads us to, okay, why then are we seeing associations with declining trust in science and declining accurate beliefs over time? And it may be that um, instead of doing your own research being about seeking information, and the value of seeking information and fact-checking and the importance of being vigilant about information, that it may have more to do with skepticism of the people who create that information, um, skepticism towards whether that's journalists, elites, scientists, experts, the government, and that doing your own research may be this expression that, well, the research that I do is just as valid as the what those elites do, or maybe more so because it's more relevant to my own life.
1: There many people, uh, to, to wave my hand at people, believe still believe in sort of this 19th century a gentleman naturalist thing where you just
0: need elbow patches high yeah. you know getting paid an absurd amount of money to sit around and do nothing
1: yeah i have uh, opinions and i'm going to write books about them and and there was there was a lot of that back in the that
0: day was, that would be an amazing job but that's not my <laughs> job <laughs>
1: What do we do about well, this? Well,
0: first off, doing your own research is a great thing to do. If you do research, um, <sighs> we have studies showing that, particularly, the trick is to get information from a wide range of different places. Um, we have research showing people who are dependent on social media for information tend to have the you know least accurate beliefs about things like COVID. But if you get your information from all kinds of places, if you get your information from the news, from family and friends, from TV, from social media as well, those people tend to be the most informed. So the trick seems to be actually doing some research mm-hmm. in the first place and from a wide range of different sources. You, you
1: mentioned something, media literacy, and, and as a possible like thing that we can do to help some sort of intervention what are your thoughts on media literacy and just the idea of uh, becoming a more media literate culture in a time when this is more important maybe than ever
0: before? So media literacy interventions see some mixed results. A mm-hmm. lot of them might work for a short time. And then if they're not followed up on, their effects diminish after a couple of weeks. Um, but one of the things that we can do is maybe thinking less about a lot of the media li- media literacy interventions that my students tell me that they got in elementary, middle, and high school are basically, okay, stuff on the internet's false, you should fact check it. (laughs) Moving on. But one of the things that we can spend a little more time on that might be more useful is thinking about what are the strategies that people use to try and draw you in to Inaccurate information or inaccurate beliefs. How do they prey on your emotions? How do they? What different rhetorical strategies do they use to try and persuade? Mm-hmm. And some of those interventions could—I don't know. I don't have the research on it. I have not done my own research on it. Mm-hmm. Could be more effective at helping people sort of just be aware of when someone is trying to persuade them, and when you know someone's trying to persuade you, you get some little blinders up and you start seeing little lights flashing and you're more aware. That's why sometimes if somebody's watching a debate, they're going to have their, someone's trying to persuade me blinders on more mm-hmm. than if they're watching a TV show. And so sometimes they can be more persuaded by something that they see on an entertainment show than a debate because it's less explicitly persuasive and mm-hmm. they're more invested in the show. So if you can sort of a- train people to be aware of, you know, this is how people use anger and um, fear and hope to, attract your attention and get you involved before telling you something and disrupt your critical thinking or this is these are some rhetorical strategies that people use these sort of logic-based corrections or logic-based interventions could be more effective (laughs) long-term. (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, how can people find how can people find you and uh, and keep up with what you do and uh, your research and all that stuff
0: um, so I have my website is Sedona I'm on the socials at OMG Bears with two S's That's because good. I like bears <laughs> <laughs> right,
1: alright Sedona I'll see you soon alright see you later right, bye bye That is it for this episode of the You Are Not So Smart podcast. For links to everything that we talked about, including the research papers, head to youarenotsosmart.com or check the show notes right there inside your podcast player. My book, How Minds Change, it's out right now. It's been out for a year and you can find a link in this episode's show notes right there in your podcast player to the homepage for How Minds Change. We can find a roundtable video with a group of persuasion experts featured in the book, you can read a sample chapter, download a discussion guide, sign up for the newsletter, read reviews. You can even watch some of the podcasts and YouTube channels I've been on and telling people, everyone, about it. I'm going to be doing 10 lectures between now and December about how minds change. So if you're interested in me coming and giving a lecture for your institution, well, you can... Contact me at davidmcrainy at gmail.com. Yes, that's my email address. I just gave it out. For all the past episodes, go to Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or youarenotsosmart.com. Smart.com. Follow me on Twitter. Yes, I will always call it that. At David McCraney. Follow the show at NotSmartBlog. blog. We're also on Facebook slash you are not so smart. And if you'd like to support this operation, go to patreon.com slash you are not so smart. Pitching in at any amount gets you the show ad-free. The higher amounts will get you t-shirts and signed books and other things. The opening music, that's Clash by Caravan Palace. And if you really want to support the show, just tell everyone you know about it, especially the episodes that really stuck with you, really gave you something of value. And check back in in about two weeks for a fresh new episode. ¶¶